Good evening. This evening we want to begin by reading a verse from the marvelous book of 1 John. I thoroughly enjoyed this little short book. It is powerful in what it has to say in those verses. And we might say John just simply outdoes himself with this particular epistle. Chapter 1 verse 5 says simply this, This is a message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. When we begin reading that, when we look at that particular verse, one question has comes to mind, and I've asked it before, and I'll ask it again. And that is simply this, what is the one thing God did not create? We all know the answer. Verse 2 of the first chapter of Genesis lets us know the earth was that form and void and darkness, was upon the face of the deep. This is what it looked like before God created all things. As Moses pens what happened in the beginning, he lets us know that God created the heavens and the earth, and this is what the earth was like before anything happened in in the time of creation. But when we look at day one, what do we find? We find simply it said this, God said, let there be light, And there was light. God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness He called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. In that one verse, as Moses describes the beginning, the creation of all things, he says, this is what happened on the very first day of time, the first 24 hour day, we find first of all, God said, Let there be light. Darkness was already here. God created the light to simply say to the darkness, I have power over you. I'm able to dispel you, and here's how to do it. Let there be light. Look at, look at the fourth day. As we go further on, it said, God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs for seasons and signs for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. On that day, we see God expands the light to give it a, a, light, a great light through the day, as He calls in a lesser light to rule the night, and the stars to fill the night sky. Again, darkness is still around, but God has harnessed it. But notice, God changed it from calling it darkness to calling it night. And God says it's created things. They would be things that would need daylight. And there will be things on this earth that I create that will need the nighttime. But even the nighttime will need some light. And we know from that point to now, it has continued for all these years and all these centuries. Some 6,000 years this earth has stood. We have daylight and we have nighttime. We have the great light of the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars that we all enjoy each and every evening. It has been that way since the beginning of time. But there has been twice in this old world God has interfered with light and darkness. 
the first of which is found in Joshua chapter 10. There it simply tells us that the five kings of the Amorites were going up against the men of Gibeon. And they realized they were outnumbered. And Gibeon comes down and says to Joshua, We need your help to fight against the Amorites. We need your help. Please come help us defeat this enemy. So verse 7-11 tells us there in that reading that Israel's army came up with great help for the people of Gibeon. But notice verses 12-14. through And at that time Joshua spoke to the Lord. In the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still at at Gibeon, and the moon in the valley of Ajalon, and the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemy. Is this not written in the book of Jehar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of man, for the Lord fought for Israel. The second time is found in Second Kings chapter 20. Verses 1 through 11. It is what we always remember him as is good King Hezekiah. Isaiah came to him and says, You're going, prepare your house, you're going to die. Hezekiah, we're told, wept bitterly and prayed and cried out to the Lord to let him live. And Isaiah was told by God to go back and tell Hezekiah, You can live for 15 more years. So when Isaiah came and told Hezekiah that, he said, ask him for a sign for the Lord. And he said, you want him to move the clock forward, if we would say 20 minutes or 40 minutes, or move it backwards 40 minutes. Hezekiah said, move it backwards. And he did. There is one full day missing since day one. 23 hours and 20 minutes of it is in Joshua. The last 40 minutes is with King Hezekiah. And notice what it said in Joshua. There has never been a day before nor since that took place. That is God's power over light and darkness. But that's not what we want to talk about this evening. We use that to set the stage. The stage is this. There is another darkness that we have to talk about. There's another darkness that has spread across the face of this earth, we might say almost from day one. And that's what we want to look at this evening. When we begin, what do we find? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He sets Adam and Eve in the midst of that garden. He gives them control over that garden. He said, everything in the midst of this garden is yours to have. Enjoy. Your job is to tend and to keep it. Except for one. Not eat of it, the day you do, you shall die. So a period of time, how long, we're never told by Moses as he pens the book of Genesis. But he tells us that we lived in a time of perfection until the day, as it's told us in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned. What happened on that day? The world became dark again. But this time it's not physical darkness we're having reference to. We're talking about spiritual darkness. The world became dark again. Adam and Eve lost that perfect world in which they'd been living, that great communion they had with God. As Moses writes, he said, God would walk with them in the cool of the evening with them and converse with them. That is gone. But even in that darkness, God says, I'm going to show you I have control over you. 
When we look at Genesis 3, we begin to see it. In verse 15, we're reminded there by Moses that when God spoke to the servant, He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. From that moment forward, God says, I have control and I will control over sin. I will bring a mean of redeeming man. And He begins to bring forth that light known to us as the gospel. As he moves it forward, as God determined and deemed it to be, we look at Abraham. And what do we find under Abraham? Get out of your country, out of your father's house, out of that place, until a place that I will show you. And notice in that reading in Genesis 12, he says, I'll make of you a great nation and multiply you on the face of the earth. And whoever you bless will be blessed. You curse a curse. And from your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Again, the light begins to shine a little more as God brings it into focus. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. There, as Moses writes about Abraham, says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to his, uh, to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, to your offspring, who is Christ. Again, we look at it as it moves forward. Look through all the prophets, both major and minor. Nearly every prophet has something to say about that coming Messiah as it sheds more light upon the fact that God's going to get uh, remove the darkness of sin this earth by the blood of His Son becomes moving as it moves forward and at the time God says it was ready. What happens? Galatians 4, 4, Paul said it this way, But when the fullness of time had come, when God was ready to reveal the light, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law. But what do we find when His birth was announced? We find in Matthew chapter 2, the first 12 verses, that the wise men who came from the east, how did they know where the Christ was? They followed the light. They followed that star to where He was. And they worship Him as they knew Him to be that promised Messiah of old. When you look at Luke chapter 2, when you look at the shepherds, they're out seeing their flock by night. What happens? All of a sudden, the glory of God fills the night sky brighter than day. And it's announced unto you, unto the city of David, is born the King. He is born. Here's the light. God promised it is now become a reality. He is in Bethlehem. And told him not to be afraid, because they remind him it's glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those who he's pleased with. Here comes the light. Look at later on in that same second chapter of Luke. Listen to two Old Testament people that we know came over to the New Testament is written. One was Anna, and one was a fellow named Simon or Simeon. Notice what he says in Luke 2. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. What did Simeon just simply announce? He simply said the fact, here is the light God has promised us from old. From Abraham forward, we see the promise unfolded. Here is the light. 
and he says to the Lord, thank you for letting me live to see the light. When we look at his ministry as he goes forward from after the temptation forward, what do we find? He reminds ourselves at times, I am the light of the world. He would tell us in John 8, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again in John 9 and 5, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. These statements guarantee the fact that God's promise back in the garden that He would dispel the darkness of sin has become a reality. Christ says, I am that light. And not only do we see that in His ministry, we see it culminate ultimately in His death and His resurrection and that shed blood on Calvary. I am the light. And notice in that, when Christ says it's in the present tense, that means He is forever the light. It will never diminish nor go out. We know that from the fact when we look at John's description of heaven and revelation, what he says, and the sun has no, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Who's the light? Christ says, I am. I am the one that God promised to dispel the darkness of sin. I am the one who's come to bring salvation to the world. David, you are so right when you say, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. David, you are so right. Amen to that. You are the light. Your word is a light. Notice he says, you light to my feet, a light to my path. We notice he lights your feet to make sure you're walking correctly. He lights the path so you double know wherever you're walking, it's in the light. If both your feet in the pathway are lit. If not, you're not walking in the light. But in order for this light to keep shining in this old world, what do we need? We need to keep our light shining. In Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, how does Christ describe us? You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How do we do that? How do we let our light shine? We know we're not the light. Christ says, I am the light. But what are we? We are like the moon. We reflect that light to the world. We all, we've heard it said over again, and it is so true. We are the only people at times that the world will ever know what the gospel's about. We're the only ones who will let the world know this is what Christian living is to be. We are just told to be the light of the world. We are to let the world know God sent His Son. Here's the light. He came, He lived, He died. He shed His blood and our life should reflect that. But let us be careful. 
We don't want the world to see the light of Satan's darkness. We don't want to have to see the light of his old cruel world. And we don't want them to see the light of the denominational world around us. We want to make sure they see the light. The one that left the glories of heaven to walk among us. What do we need to keep the light shining? We'll ask again. We could simply pray it this way. God Give us Christians. That's it. God give us Christians. There's no question that Satan's laboring hard in this old world which we live in. If I were to ask you if he's having any success in this uh, upper part of the 21st century, everyone would have to say, yes, he is. We're living in one of the worst times we've ever believed and ever seen. Not only in the religion, but in the church as a whole, it is sad. Rick talked about it a few weeks ago. Who'd ever thought back when he was growing up, you never heard the word abortion. Now you can have your baby born and decide to kill it afterwards. Who would ever thought we'd ever come to that? No one ever thought that. Well, that's what we're needing in this world in which we live. We need Christians. We need to let the world know that God has given us the light. He's given us a weapon. He's given us the Word of God. He's given us that New Testament that's threaded with the blood of Jesus Christ. And He's provided us this Word which is strong and powerful and able to defend the cause of Christ. In other words, brethren, we need Christians, and we need preachers, and we need teachers who will properly study the Word of God. What was the Bereans known for? Everyone knows what Acts 17.11 says. They received the word with gladness or with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to make sure the things they were being taught were true. How many true gospel preachers have told you from the pulpit many times, when I preach unto you, don't just take my word for it. Look at the word of God and make sure what I've said to you can be backed up by it. That's what we're talking about. Paul's admonition and Timothy still rings true today. Do you still present yourself, you're a worker unto God is one approved? A worker need not to be ashamed, but what? Handling right or rightly handling the Word of God. We need people of the book, if you might say. We need people who love the book, who will wield it in a world in which we live in today that needs it as desperately as ever needed it before. The light to shine in the midst of the darkness of this old world. We also need Christians, preachers, and teachers who will hide the Word in their heart. Again, David is speaking and he says, I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have stored your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Does that work? Uh, let's ask our Lord. Let's ask our Lord for a moment. What happened in Matthew chapter 4? He was tempted by Satan, wasn't he? How did he answer Satan the three times he tempted him? Uh, public opinion says this, Satan. Well, at the moment, the Jewish people believe this is the doctrine. Well, the hierarchy of the Jewish... No. He quoted unto him the Word of God as it is written. And he went on from there. It is written. And he went on as it is written. He went again. And how did he defeat Satan? By the Word of God. 
in that He was teaching us. Yes, you will be tempted, but you are able to overcome it as long as you hide the Word of God in your heart. When we consider for a moment Proverbs 23 and verse 7, we tend to use it in the negative, but we also can use it in the positive. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. When we think about that for a moment, turn it over and think of the importance of imbibing the Word of God in our hearts and minds. Then that verse makes a lot of sense. As we think, as we lay this, hide this in our heart, so are we. What are we? We're children of God. We're the light of the world, reflecting the marvelous gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. So the world will know what it is to have God in their life. The whole thrust and the whole thought of mediation and meditation is founded in the fact that we must meditate upon the Word of God. We need men and women. We need preachers, teachers, and Christians who have this attitude of the psalmist. Again, Psalm 119, verses 15 and 16. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statues. I will not forget your word. If we don't have this attitude, we can never claim to be godly. Why? Because godly man's delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalms 1 and verse 2. We need Christians, preachers, and teachers who will hold forth the Word of God. Paul wrote to the Philippians, this congregation, the rights of the great joy that he has for this group of people in that wonderful city, exhorting them to prepare themselves so God could accomplish His work through them. In the second chapter, beginning with verse 14, he says, Do all things without grumbling and disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as what? Lights in the world, holding fast to the Word of God. Notice as he writes to them, he's telling them to hold on to the Word of God, cling fastly to it. Hold on to it as a congregation of God's people as you fight against what's going on in the world around. He called it a crooked and perverse generation. Guess what? The 21st century. What is it? What we got? We still got a crooked and perverse generation. And we are still to be what? We are still to shine as lights in this old world which we live in. Jeremiah made a statement in the 22nd chapter of his book. When he simply said in a little short verse, O land, 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 hear the word of God. Hear. Jeremiah said that centuries ago. Again, can we not say that here to the United States of America? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. These are the actions we must take. This is what we're fighting against. 
And we never thought we would be in this situation as God's kingdom in this day and time fighting things we're having to fight. No one ever thought that would ever happen. But look what has. We need Christians, preachers and teachers who arise to the challenges. It takes courage. It takes dedication to proclaim the truth of God in any arena of life. And that means either to if you're talking to the brethren at a congregation which you are worshiping at or working among as a teacher or a preacher or a Christian, as it were, that's a challenge sometimes, isn't it? Not only do we know it's a challenge at times, and we've got to rise up to that challenge and dedicate and preach the gospel to our own. We've even got to do it to a lost one. That same courage and that same dedication. And even to our families in the home. It is a challenge. But in order for us to meet that challenge... Again, we're going to repeat it because we need to understand it. There's the challenge in this of living a life that is consistent. The greatest ally that we have, we might say one of the greatest allies that we have in trying to teach the God, God's wonderful word to the world around us is a life that we live that is consistent with the message that we are proclaiming. David, we remind you again, David said, Here, lamp unto my feet and light to my pathway. Christians, again, remind ourselves, we're to let our light what? Not just shine, so shine. Puts a little emphasis on that, doesn't it? Before they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is hard. Because we live in a world of sin all around us. We live in a world in which the darkness of sin is controlled by Satan and he uses every device he has in his disposal to destroy us. To live that consistent life. Yes, it will be hard. It's going to be hard and it'll be difficult at times. But we've been promised by our Heavenly Father, remain faithful to me, I will take care of you, I will help you every step of the way and heaven is yours at the end. But we must rise to the challenge. And another challenge we face in trying to rise to the challenges around us is the challenge of opposition. If we just do if you just did a light reading of the book of Acts, basically just read through it, you will notice one thing. The church began, the church grew. But as the church grows and moves forward, what do we find? Opposition from the Jew and from the Roman government. We find opposition. But what do we find? In the midst of that opposition, the church did what? Fold up its doors and went home? It continued to grow. Continued to grow. It grew in spite of the opposition, not because of it. It grew because it want, it loved the truth. It grew because it wanted to be the light of the world. It wanted to show what Christ had done in coming to this world and redeeming man from sin. It wanted to preach the gospel throughout all the world. 
and it was it had a great success. How do we know? What did Paul tell his brethren in Colossae in chapter one and verse twenty-three? Didn't make it didn't say that they obeyed it, but he said every creature under heaven has heard of what? The name of Jesus Christ. It grew in spite of the opposition. And that's the reason why we need Christians, preachers, and teachers who are set for the defense of the gospel. The apostle Paul reminded us, as he told Timothy, that the church of the living God is the pillar and buttress or ground of the truth. Peter's exhortation was simply this in 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. What did the Apostle Paul say about himself in Philippians chapter 1, verse 16? I am here for one reason, for the defense of the gospel. Paul says that is part of my mission, to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we can say this, if he can do it, so can we. So can we. Why? We have the same thing he did. We still have this. And at times, yes, we have to be reminded of 1 John 4 and 4. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. At times we tend to forget that, don't we? We tend to forget that God is greater than the world. That He is greater than Satan. He is more powerful than Satan. Yes, the devil is strong. No one will ever deny that. You'll never hear anyone ever say, Oh, he, 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 no. He's strong. He's powerful. He has the power of influence, and within that power of influence, he's got everything at his disposal that he can ever think of, devise, come up with, or use against every child of God to destroy him. But we need to remember what we said in class this morning. When the Bible ends, with the grace of Christ be with you all, so to speak, what do we sum it up by saying, the book ends by saying, we win. We win. Why? This is the power over the darkness of sin who was paid for by the blood of the one who says, I am the light in this world of darkness. Yes, thankfully, 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 the Word of God will all be stronger than whatever Satan tries to throw against us. Our prayer will always be for our God to find us Christians, preachers, and teachers who will hold to the unchanging hand of God in this world which ever changes. John finishes that marvelous first chapter of his in First John by simply saying this, if we walk in the light... As He is a light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Thank you, John. You couldn't have said it any better than what he just said just now as he finishes up that marvelous first chapter of that epistle. He is right. In order for all this to work, for us to rise to the challenge, John is right. We have to walk in the light. We cannot do it any other way. So this evening, if you're not a child of God, here's the opportunity. God sent the light. He sent it. It is His Son who says, I am the light. And He still is that light. He's brought His gospel message to the world. There's a way out of this darkness and it's becoming a child of His. Come this evening believing that He is the Christ. Hearing that marvelous Word of God and convicting yourself believing He is the Christ. His Father created the heavens and the earth. He came and lived and died for us. That belief that starts on the road to becoming a child of God. Repenting of the way you've been living. This old life, a world, turn it around. Said, I want to begin to walk that leads me toward Christ. Confess Him. If we looked at this morning, and then be buried in baptism to raise that walk, that new life that Paul so ably describes to us in Romans chapter 6. Cannot deny what he just said in that marvelous chapter. And you're raised to walk a new life. You begin to walk in the light, the light of the gospel of Christ, a road that will lead to heaven. It's, it's narrow, it's difficult. Yes, but the Lord says, I'll be with you every step of the way. And see if you're a child of God who's wandered from the light. You find yourself back in the darkness of sin. You've allowed Satan to lure you away from the light of the truth. You begin to walk back in darkness. Here's your opportunity to return home. God's promised you. I will forgive you. If you come with that repentant attitude, I will forgive you. Race it away with the blood of Christ. And the best part, he says, I will remember it no more. Think of this while together we stand and while we sing.